Chance on for Virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a FA Cup final since 1969. We look back at that great day at Wembley. Wasn't a great game. We also talk about the wider world of football at the end of the podcast. But we also preview the games against West Brom and Crystal Palace in the Premier League. In association with footballkitmarket.com, it's for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and Rob Hayes. You're in For Fox Sake HQ2. We are in the FA Cup final after beating Southampton one goal to nil. There's nothing else happening in the football world. It's all about Leicester. We're through to the first final since 1969 after playing in the first semi-final since the year before I was alive, which was obviously a long time before you, Rob. How do you feel, Rob Hayes, right now? up there in Sheffield, nowhere near God's County. Absolutely delighted, I've got to be honest, especially as the mood amongst many football fans around Sheffield, although they've known it for a while, uh, the relegation of Sheffield United has been confirmed. So it couldn't be more polar opposite. But yeah, absolutely delighted. And as you say, it it's kind of a little bit frustrating, really, that other news stories have stolen all of the headlines here because... I would quite like for us to have been talked about for days and days and days because it's a massive story and it's a massive event for us as Leicester City fans, a massive event for a city that's been through an awful lot in the last year and we've got a real showpiece FA Cup final to look forward to. The first in either of our lifetimes, the first major final for Leicester City since the year 2000 when I was 10 years old. My first Leicester major final as an adult yeah, I'm um, I'm very excited. I'm trying not to get too carried away, as you can tell. Well, we've got time to get excited before the big game. Now, obviously, there's a lot going on in the in the football world, and there's been a lot going on in the last hour before we record this. You'll all know that, and probably more has happened. So, what we're going to do is we're not really going to talk about that because Leicester are in the FA Cup final, and I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is going to go, "Thanks, that's exactly what we need right now." Um, we're going to touch on it at the end of the podcast, so we'll give you a forewarning where if you don't want to listen to our point of view about what's going going on put it this way it's probably exactly what you think then we'll give you forewarning but it's going to be about Leicester and and then we'll look at what's happening in the wider football world with again the viewpoint from our football club because our football club I think are quite near to what's happening in the wider conversation with with, with what's been going on uh, a lot closer to it than a lot of other clubs so it, it is quite an interesting thing if you look at it from a Leicester City point of view but the one thing Rob that you just said then is that um, it's taken maybe not the gloss off but it's taken the attention away from Leicester uh, I'm not really bothered about that purely because there's a lot of build-up to the FA Cup final and that's when uh, the press overdrive and the attention in the football club will be and who knows where the football club will be in that place uh in the premier league before that game you know if they're secure in the top four etc if it goes horribly wrong and we'll talk about that as well so 
And also, the main point as well, is that it was probably the worst game of football I've seen all season. It was horrible, let's face it. I mean, those fans who are in the ground, the 4,000-odd neutral, there's going to be the odd uh, supporter of Leicester or, or Southampton, those that are in the ground, some of them maybe at the first game that they've even ever been to, hopefully they enjoy themselves, but my God, it was an awful, awful game. But... Um, on commentary, um, you got Ian Dark and you got um, Glenn Hoddle. They did say after about fifteen minutes, I think uh, I think Darkey realised actually like this, this game's it's going one way. He's seen a, a thousand and ten football matches in his time, and he said, "I suppose the FA Cup semi final is actually just all about getting through to the final rather than putting on a bit of a showpiece." And and uh, that's what happened. We got through to the final one nil. That man, Kelechi, again, with the goal. Uh, Rob, tell me where you watched it, how you watched it, and how you were feeling, rather than going into the intricacies about the actual game itself, which won't take long. Um, there you go. I was sat in my living room uh, on my own, because the other half went to the gym, because she was uh, not really bothered about football, and... Um, I I have BT Sport on my phone, so she couldn't really watch it anyway unless we both gathered around my phone. So I was just sat. Uh, I had uh, a slice of homemade cake, cup of tea, the game on my phone. And to be honest with you, I probably felt a little bit like the 4,000 neutral fans in Wembley Stadium for the first half. It was, uh, it was a drag, but, you know, like you say, it, it's... You would love, you would absolutely love to smash a semi-final 4-0, go through to the final in in complete style, cruise through, get a few goals, really entertaining. However, when it gets to the final whistle and the referee blows that whistle, the absolute only thing that matters is the scoreline. And the scoreline was Leicester 1, Southampton 0. And that's Leicester in the final of the FA Cup. And if the exact same thing happens in the FA Cup final on the 15th of May... Do I care? Absolutely not. Because the only thing that matters is the scoreline at the end and that Leicester City are lifting that trophy. I will say that when the Iheanacho goal went in, uh, my phone didn't stay on the arm of the city. I may have uh, given it an accidental sort of fling and swipe in in celebration because I was kind of half head in hands after he'd absolutely fluffed his lines with the first chance. And then as it drops to him again, you're like, come on. And and he and he tooks it away, and it's just one of them things. That, I think they said it on commentary. If if there's another player in there, if Vardy's in there, and he fluffs his line with that shot, it deflects off the defender and goes behind for a corner. But Ian is in that kind of form where everything just seems to be falling at his feet. The chance he, he converts the crucial chance, um, and just I, I was really pleased that we got to one nil at that stage because. I felt that I would become more and more nervous the longer the game went on. So to get 1-0 in front after 55 minutes was quite comforting, really. After a, I wouldn't say I felt tense because I wasn't massively worried about Southampton. I don't think they offered an awful lot in the game at all. But, you know, at 0-0, the longer the game goes on, the more worried you are about them scoring and you are not having enough time to respond. So delighted with the timing of the goal. You could almost have written it that it'd be Inacho again. Um, don't care about the manner of the goal, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I had a little uh, 
celebratory fist bump and phone flying across the living room um, with a cup of tea and cake. What about you? Uh, I was around with folks, uh, so watching it, and the angle really I was getting at was, and you've answered it already, it was about nerves, because this was a huge game, and I will say it was probably, and arguably say it was a, a more important game uh, for, this is going to sound quite bad actually, um, I'm going to say it was a, a game that was for those supporters who have been supporting them for a long time, and that's not taking it away from anyone who's who's really young listening, but um, it was a really important game because you, maybe you've seen Leicester for an awful long time fail in the FA Cup. Uh, it's something that you've really wanted more than, say, European qualification because it was always out of reach or, or winning the Premier League, anything like that. This was always the target. And you go back to the Wickham game. Um, you go back to penalty shootout, recent penalty shootout defeats in, in quarterfinals. But it was a game for, for those fans where it, it could have been one of the most nervous games because it's a semi-final at Wembley, etc., that you would have been for an awful long time. And I get nervous when Leicester play. On occasion, it's, I'm really nervous, you know, to the point of when we played Sevilla, when we, in the uh, second leg, uh, some of the games in the running... Even though I was with you at the ground, Rob, we were doing the commentary and it was a job that you're doing. So you, your mind is taken away from the actual aspect of it being Leicester and you can concentrate on it. But still, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm a real bag of nerves. Not every game, but those those big games. I sat there and this is no word of a lie. Just pretty calm the whole time. In fact, very calm. I, I was just confident the whole way through that game. There were... Barely any nerves, and I don't know whether it was just the fact that you're kind of in that zone of, well, whatever, here at Wembley, whatever will be, will be. But because of the way the game unfolded in the first few minutes, it just turned into that real turgid, don't make any mistakes game, and Southampton were pitifully dreadful. If I was a Southampton fan, I'd be embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed. What did Schmeichel have to do? Nothing. Uh, collect a couple of crosses, uh, palm a corner away from almost beneath his crossbar, and then kick the ball. That was it. I, you know, that was pretty much it. It it was a really comfortable game. So I was just in a in a just calm zone. Weirdly, uh, very funny the goal. Very funny because you see his first shot. First of all, I'm sure he's pulling it back, Vardy for Castagna coming in the edge of the box. Uh, Kelechi's done very well to actually get his left foot high enough to make good contact with the ball first time around. And as you said, comes back to him. Anyone else in the field, it goes out for a corner goal kick. It came back to him and he puts it in. And you think, oh, is that shot been blocked? And it wasn't until a camera angle, a good five or seven minutes later, where it shows you the ball's going about six yards wide of the left-hand post if the defender didn't get in the way. So that was really funny. That made me laugh. But even in the last ten minutes... They never looked like scoring in a month of Sundays. It was it was really comfortable. Which overall, because the result is the only thing that matters in, in the FA Cup semi-final, and indeed, as you said, the final, that's what I was uh, kind of most pleased about, really. And, and they're through. And then all of a sudden, when the final whistle went, there wasn't a, a jump up in the air and a, and, a, and a fist pump and a high five. It was just kind of a nod of the head and go, well, yeah, obviously. 
obviously we're through. And then you saw, or then I saw the players and the manager especially really happy. Vardy on the ground on his back holding his head. And it's only dawned on him. And it's only dawned on me then. Jamie Vardy, the story that we all know, and we don't need to go into great detail, we all know his story, has now got, and fingers crossed, everything's going to be okay between now and Wembley. It's got an FA Cup final and a possible FA Cup win, but at least there will be a final. Schmeichel appears, the first FA Cup final of his career. And then it, it slowly dawns on you then, is the FA Cup final. What a, what a brilliant, brilliant achievement. And again, regardless of what happens in the final, we'll be doing probably three podcasts before then. So again, no previews. It then, in the last few days, especially with all the news elsewhere, it's it's been just fantastic that Leicester have been able to just kind of cruise along and hopefully hovering above a little foam of air in training. And that has just basically pushed away all the negativity in the football world over the last 24, 48 hours. Hopefully it's pushed away all the negativity of what happened at Leicester in the last 7 to 10 days or so. And it really gives them a nice cushion and a bit of a push towards what's going to happen in the next week with these two home games in the Premier League. Well, yeah, because Brendan Rodgers and and I guess a lot of us as supporters were saying that the FA Cup semi-final was the perfect opportunity for the players that uh, missed the West Ham game due to them breaking the COVID regulations. Perfect opportunity for them to... uh, sort of apologise with their impact on the game, really. Uh, and Perez started and then Madison came on. Um, and ultimately, they weren't particularly able to to make a huge impact on the overall outcome of the game. But what's essentially happened is that the negative aspect of off-the-field issues that we were talking about on uh, on the previous podcast... Uh, have surely far been outweighed by the positive feeling that will be hopefully coursing through the players as much as it is as, as as the supporters in the fact that they've just won an FA Cup semi-final. The squad is in the FA Cup final. And established players who, yes, Jamie Vardy's career at the top level has been pretty short, really. But you look at Vardy, England international, you know... Um, Golden Boot winner, uh, got that record off Van Nisselrooy for most consecutive games scored in Kasper Schmeichel, undisputed number one at Leicester City for so many years now. And these are players that you kind of, you know, when you when you say it out loud like that, it's the first FA Cup final for them. Vardy has scored goals in the preliminary rounds of the FA Cup and is now an FA Cup finalist at 34. You know, you almost, not forget, but... The, the the period of more success that Leicester have had in the last five years or so has maybe just been kind of put into perspective a little bit by how delighted we are as supporters and they clearly were as players and Brendan Rodgers clearly is as the manager um, that actually this is a very small window of Leicester City's history and these moments really, really matter. Do they matter less to, to to fans and players of clubs like Chelsea, Man City, Manchester United, whatever? Maybe, maybe not. I can't speak from their point of view. But f- for us, uh, we know the record. We know how long it's been since we were last in an FA Cup final. It's a huge, huge moment. And it's 
I'm not for a second taking anything for granted, but we we've spoken a lot on the podcast in the last year to eighteen months, at least maybe even longer about looking ahead to a sustained period of success, new training ground, manager with a vision, young players. And this is the kind of thing that we can that we are hoping and dreaming of seeing more of. But the fact is, this is the first time in a long time we've had a, something like this. It was the first time since um, probably the Champions League campaign following the uh, following the Premier League title win that we've had such a sense of euphoria before, during and after a game. And for it to happen in, in a fairly untroubled manner, really, is all the more pleasing. And it's kind of like a nod to the fact that, yes, we're talking about wanting this more sustained success. We're talking about that we can be, little old Leicester can be fighting for silverware and fighting to get into the top four. But being now in the FA Cup final is absolutely proof that it, it is possible and it is happening. We are living through some of the best years of Leicester City's entire history. And I think, as I say, I'm not taking it for granted, but I think I'd sort of maybe lost a tiny bit of the perspective because we're assuming that this is the direction we're going in. And to take a step back and actually think about those players involved, think about the time period, just saying out loud then that it's been 21 years um, since we were last in a major cup final I was 10 years old it's it's a huge moment in in the club's history and it's a huge moment for us as supporters so my opinion and my message I guess is is cherish it and enjoy it because yes we're expecting hopefully more of this to come but right now first time in a long time let's let's enjoy it let's enjoy it for the next 48 hours because we've got these two very important games in the Premier League arguably the well, in fact, every game is now going to be a cup final because we have one in the cup final as well. So every game is a cup final from now until the end of the season. I completely agree with everything you said. And you have the tantalising prospect of actually Leicester winning the thing. If they end up winning the thing, it will then underline everything that we've been aiming for this season with trying to finish in the top four. The... Increased exposure to the football club. You come here to try and win. Th- you can come here and actually win things. Um, it will underline Brendan Rodgers' place at the football club, although he may have done that in the last 24 hours anyway. Um, it would, again, just... It would put a, a, a bracket on these years since winning the Premier League to say these were actually successful years because of the high level of performance in the Premier League hopefully European qualification, and then the trophy. And who knows, it then could start something else and else and else, and hopefully it will. So there's all that to try and think about if they actually win the thing. But that's something maybe for another day, because after the news that broke on Sunday night, we then had the game in the Premier League, and we're right in that period now of looking at other teams and where they are in the league. And we had the game between Leeds and Liverpool, and... You could only say that this issue that was going on would have arguably hampered Liverpool. I don't think it would have ever increased their performance at all. And it was such a strange game against Leeds. It really was. How Liverpool weren't more than one goal up at half-time, no idea. And then at the end of the game, 
uh, how Leeds hadn't scored at least a couple in the second half. No idea. I've never seen a game that swung so much one way than another. One team dominating so much in the first half, and then the other team dominating so much in the second half. It was it was unbelievable. It was like there was a magnet at that end of the ground, and the ball was always going to go that end, no matter which half and who was shooting that way. Anyway, a draw for Leicester was a really good result because it looked like it wasn't coming. When the goal went in, I celebrated as much as the uh, the goal for, for Kelechi Inacho at, uh, at Wembley. So Liverpool drew, which means they remain in sixth place as we speak right now on 53 points. West Ham in fifth on 55 points. Uh, Chelsea, uh, they are on, well, I'll tell you what, they're on 54 points, but at the time of recording, they're actually drawing. So it's just basically, um, it's a real-time league. So they're in fourth on, on 55 uh, depending on what they happens with their game against Brighton, uh, Leicester will still be in the top four, 56 points. But Leicester, as we know, have these two games coming up in the Premier League against West Brom and against Crystal Palace. We then play Southampton, Newcastle at home, etc. But for these and for this podcast, we will talk about these two games. I think with the defeat to West Ham, um. These two games now are must-win games. If Leicester got a point or even won at West Ham, you could say a win and a draw. But I think now in this two, these two games, Leicester need to be getting three points in both games if I think they're going to get into the top four. Liverpool, who knows what could happen. Again, with all that's happened, you don't know how those clubs are going to react. You don't know whether... Um, the, this, what looks like a collapse of the plans is going to reinvigorate them. So this kind of um, this ill thought in the in the squad and in the players and the possible downturn in form of Chelsea and and Liverpool might have only been a forty eight hour thing, and Liverpool just got caught up in it for that one game. If that's the case, there we go. But in the same time, they still have a difficult game. They've got to play away at Manchester United. So. We're playing against a side, Rob, West, ha- uh, West Brom, who have had a bit of an upturn in uh, in results. They are deep in the mire. They are on 24 points. Uh, currently, they are nine points behind Burnley, who I thought were very actually unlucky against Manchester United Old Trafford the other day. I thought they played very well. Uh, but West Brom have won their last two games. If you remember their win at Chelsea and that crazy 5-2 win at Chelsea, on a, was it a Saturday lunchtime? I think it was. And then they went and beat Southampton 3-0. And Southampton had the two eyes on the FA Cup semi-final, but that didn't work out for them. So they have won their last two games. They're going to be full of it. But then Leicester should really be full of it. And I don't think they should be caught cold. I think, I end of the day, what Brendan Rodgers does and what the players have been talking about over the last uh, 24, well, all the way from the game at Wembley up until kickoff, whatever they've said and whatever motivation that they've been trying to put into the players to say, start quickly, attention on this game, and whatever players have come out and said, they need to go and do it. And I think if Leicester start well and impose themselves on West Brom, get a hold of the ball, start knocking the ball around, even if it is for 15 minutes fairly dull stuff, but Leicester just almost just relaxing, you know, the fizz of what happened at Wembley just starts to fade away and evaporate and they actually start to, to concentrate on the game. I think that would be fine. What I don't what I don't want is is West Brom to come flying at Leicester and Leicester to just be completely off guard and just to be a bit of a rabble. 
and almost get to the point in the first half where they have to wait until half time to kind of sort themselves out or maybe they they're playing the first half with a bit of carefree um a, a bit of carefree abandon knowing that they're in the FA Cup final but this is arguably a more important game in many ways if you look at it from certain angles but uh, what what do you think Rob what's 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 your angle with this game I just I just want Leicester to to just keep the ball for 15 minutes and again just just let them settle into the game because I can see it being a quite an awkward start yeah I can and and what Leicester need to do is is to sort of channel the positivity uh, that that was born from winning the FA Cup semi-final put the knowledge and the thoughts any thoughts of the FA Cup final firmly to the back of their minds uh, and turn their attentions fully back on what is a really tough task of securing a place in the top 4 in the in the Premier League because they've got to use the right aspects of of that victory in the in the semi-final they've got to play better i think Leicester will need to play better on Thursday against West Brom than they did at the weekend in the FA Cup semi-final in order to get anything from the game um but do I believe that they are capable of doing so? Absolutely. And the thing with West Brom is they're confident at the moment because they've won back-to-back games. They've scored eight goals in two games. But looking at the league table, they've conceded a league-high 59 goals. So they are... It's Is it a revival? Probably not. But they will look at this and say, right, we beat Leicester. We've won three on the bounce then. We'll be up to 27 points, which is only six points behind Burnley. Um, which is a gap that in six games is probably closable. If Chelsea beat Brighton tonight, they're only on 34 Brighton, so they're, they're still only, what, be seven points uh, away from West Brom, and they'll start to feel that they can build up some momentum. But that confidence is going to be fragile, and Leicester need to make sure that West Brom never believe that they can win the game on Thursday. I think that's that's really key, and that... That links back to your point, Pete, about making sure that Leicester's yeah, Leicester's need to start well. That's it. They need to start well. They need to make sure that they are always in control of the game, that they never give West Bromwich Albion any belief that they are capable of winning the game. And a couple of early goals would always be even nicer, but just to be in total control of the game and make sure that they don't have a sniff. Obviously, Southampton were poor. Uh, at the weekend and didn't get a single shot on target, but you could argue we weren't much better because our only shot on target was the goal. But they've got to limit West Brom's chances. They've got to be very aggressive and play high up the pitch with the intensity that we've seen in patches recently, but hasn't necessarily been there from the start. And that's really, really important. I totally agree with you. If West Brom have got their tails up and maybe even got a goal to the good by half-time, it's going to be a really difficult task for Leicester to get back on top of that. But are they capable of of taking control of a game? Yes, we've seen that. It doesn't always need to be possession-based, but I think for this point it, it should be because West Brom aren't a particularly good footballing side. So you would automatically ex- expect Leicester to have the better of the possession anyway. And... It just needs to, the, the door needs to never even be held a tiny bit ajar. There just needs to be basically no door at all for West Brom to even think that they can get through. Um, that has to be Leicester's approach. In terms of personnel, um, 
I don't really think that there'll be too much in the way of huge personnel changes. Obviously, we know about the size of relative size of Leicester's squad. There's not really that many uh, options for that. We could maybe see Madison from the start instead of Perez. And what I think he would do is enable that um, controlled possession higher up the pitch because I don't think Perez um, really looks after the ball well enough and makes good enough decisions on the ball in those areas. Whereas Madison, you say to him, look, get in between the lines. They've got that Turkish holding midfielder, haven't they? Yukuslu. Just give him a job to do. Make sure that he's not able to to control things in the middle of the park. Start threatening their back line by feeding some balls through because they're, they're shambles defensively or have been uh, throughout most of the season. And just make sure that we've got the ball. And yes, 15, 20 minutes of keeping the ball would be nice. But 15, 20 minutes of probing and playing through the lines would be even better. And I'm sure that that's the approach that Brendan Rodgers will be expecting his players to take. But we've seen recently he's needed to give him a kick up the backside at half time, And he's come out and said afterwards we didn't start the game well enough. Um, certainly against West Ham, the first hour basically was absolutely nowhere near the money needs to be right on it on Thursday yeah as with most games depending on what happens with the previous game in terms of the injuries coming out of the game with the the game against Southampton it might be regardless of injuries it could be uh, fatigue uh, emotional fatigue as well the, the the effect of it and I'm not talking about a player not maybe being able to play in the game, but maybe the decision between um, a fresh, say, Dennis Pratt or, or someone like that maybe coming in for a player, or the difference between a Perez or a Madison, etc. There's the knocks. There were a few, um, not tasty tackles, but there were a few, quite a lot of players standing on feet and all sorts. Uh, Yuri Tillemans was kicked. Jamie Vardy was kicked. Uh, Evans at one point was limping and... Uh, Nacho got up from actually no one was near him at the time holding his knee etc so there might be a few changes necessary due to that I um, I agree what you said about Perez I would bring in Madison myself purely because I think Madison needs uh, maybe to start a game to get back up to full fitness it's all very well coming off the bench but I think he could do with a start I wouldn't have a problem with Perez playing because I think he's that sort of player as we've said before that he's fine against say, lower half opposition. Uh, it's when he plays against the big boys, he gets found out because of his lack of pace and just because the, he's not as good a player, say, as Madison. So uh, And also, Madison looks incredibly rusty. And whether that's the effect of um, not just playing football for a while because of his injury, but also all that's happened before uh, with him and those players, maybe just trying too hard. I know that's an easy thing to say, but it could actually be the case. So I think him starting the game for a number of reasons would be good. It would just draw a line under that sector as well, you know. Um, so so he would be, for me, in the side. Uh, the rest of the side would would pick itself. Um, you do also have to throw into the equation that West Brom haven't played since the 12th, that game against Southampton. So they've had an awful long time to prepare for this game. And they're on the back of those two wins as well. So they really should be bouncing. That's the thing. And that's probably intended, but they should be they should be bouncing into the into the king power. Um, so when it comes to the game, I, I I believe Leicester will win. Okay, and I think overall 
we are such a good side at, at, at keeping the ball. And, and as you said, when I mean keeping the ball, it's, it's probing. It's it's playing the ball through the channels. It's a shame someone like, and I know he used to play for him, but that wasn't the angle I was getting with. But it's a shame someone like Barnes isn't playing. Because in this game, he could really stay out wide. And I think if you were having the ball at the King Power and someone like Tielemans and Madison, Madison running around, Tielemans mainly staying in the more central position, but the fact that you could have two wings, you could have all Brighton way out on one wing, and you could have Barnes sticking to the line out on the other wing, that would really help. I could see um, that playing very well against West Brom, that tactic of really stretching the pitch. Um, whether they might do that, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised at all if someone like Albrighton does start uh, on the right. He, he looked um, again when he came off the bench at Wembley. He's uh, He's got it, hasn't he, between his teeth at the moment. He's just in that kind of, he's in that, not purple patch, but he's just got something between his teeth. I think it might have a lot to do with what happened with those players before. It's just at the moment he's the ultimate professional and I think he's just really, he's just trying his hardest, which all players should do all the time. I think Leicester are going to be keeping the ball for the first half and I think overall, I, th I think they might, run out fairly comfortable winners on the night. I, can, I, th I think they would keep um, a shutout against West Brom. I can't see any reason why the back three won't play. Um, and so I'm going to go for a relatively comfortable win. I'm going to go for a straightforward 2-0 score. Uh, I, I'm going to go for Jamie Vardy um, to eventually get on the goal. I mean, end of the day, he's... Um, and for the for the umpteenth time, he is playing well, isn't he? It's not working for him in front of goal. He had that one chance in the first half at Wembley where he should really have hit it first time. If it was on his right foot, he would have hit it first time, I'm sure. It was an, a delicious through ball from Yuri Tillemans, who just before that, I thought actually Tillemans and um, Wilfred Ndidi especially were very quiet. And Ndidi probably had his worst game for many, many months. Many months. Really off the ball. Not just in terms of his tackling, but in terms of his all-round game, his passing, his positional awareness. That many times against Southampton, both him and Yori went forwards, and then a simple ball between them broke through the Leicester midfield. Where was Ndidi just behind Yori Tillemans? Where was Tillemans behind Wilfred Ndidi? It it just seemed like the communication was off. I don't know whether it was the fact that they were playing at Wembley. Something wasn't quite right in midfield. But when Yuri Tillemans had that one chance to play a lovely ball through the defence for Vardy, he play, you could not have walked forward, stopped. you could have not have stopped time, walked forward with the ball and placed it in a better place. And there's only one way you can measure that, and that's if the centre forward running onto the ball can run onto the ball and strike it first time, and it be straight into his step. No problems at all. And that's what happened. It was such a good through ball. Absolutely fantastic. And for saying he was off the ball for that first 20-30 minutes and then did that just shows you the quality of the guy so Vardy he really could do with the goal um, the other goal it's fairly simple it's it's Kalash isn't it everything he strikes goes in at the moment and he's um, it's, it, it, it's fabulous isn't it? it it's absolutely fabulous it's really great to see it's great for Leicester but also it's um it's just a good story all around his, uh, his his emergence at Leicester. And the longer it goes on, the more it turns into a guy 
who has just scored a few goals on the bounce, to a guy who's actually in form, to a guy who picks up a Premier League Player of the Month award, to a guy who then scores in further consecutive games, including fantastic goals. Then he scores the winner in an FA Cup semi-final. He's now, is he the top scorer at the club, or he's joined alongside Jamie Vardy? Where does it end? Does it end? Do we end with an FA Cup winner's medal and a top four place and Kletia Nacho scoring 20 goals this season? Who knows? Who knows? But I'm going to go for 2-0 Leicester. That man, Kletia again. Uh, and Jamie Vardy late, late on. I'm going to go Jamie Vardy to score the second. But 2-0 City. I think um, looking at the West Brom squad and the lineup, there's nothing in there that particularly worries me. But there are the there is the odd player like Pereira, for example, who, who's got that little bit of magic that if he gets half a yard, he can make something happen. Um, I think also the fact that they'll come in confident from two wins on the bounce, they'll come in knowing that they have the opportunity to close the gap on Burnley and, and stay in touch really. It's not a case of if they lose to Leicester on Thursday night that they're down, but obviously every game now that they don't pick up maximum points in makes their job much more difficult. So I think they'll be more difficult to beat and they'll be more up for it than they have been for the most of the season. Um, but I still think that our quality will prevail. So I'm going to say 2-1. Uh, I would love to see Vardy on the score sheet. I, I was willing him to hit that chance first time against Southampton. The, the, as soon as he took a touch, it narrowed everything down again. But, you know, still most of me, as a Leicester fan, having watched Vardy over the over the years, still expected him to dink that over Forster and it to hit the back of the net. But it, it as, as you say, it's not quite happening. Hats off to Kelechi Iheanacho because we'd be seriously struggling at the moment without him and without his goals, let's be perfectly honest. And if we do, if this story does end with an FA Cup win and a top four finish, then us as Leicester City fans will have an awful lot to be grateful to him for. So I, I wouldn't... Let, let's go for both the strikers on the score sheet, Iheanacho and Vardy to get the goals in a 2-1 win. I mean, end of the day, in an era where statues will be made of players and statues will be made, which won't be an exaggeration in any way, shape or form, because everything in football is exaggerated now. You know, you don't have, all you have to do is is grab an equaliser at home in the first half and you're a legend. It's uh, it's. But if Kelechi Inacho scores the winning goal in the FA Cup final, he is a bona fide legend at the football club. That's it. Game over. If Daniel Armati scores a last-minute goal off his elbow, then it goes, and that's fine. You know, if somehow it passes VAR, but you know what I mean. If it goes in, goes in off his ass, then he's a hero. Well, I'll be a hero, obviously, for doing that. But do you know what I mean? Anyone scores the winning goal in the FA Cup final. Um, I remember when Wigan scored, Ben Watson scored, and you know. Surely he's got some kind of bar named after him or statue outside of Wigan's ground. It's um, it's that kind of final where legends are made. And if he scores, you will then look back on the run, which has his name written all over it in those 1-0 wins. Uh, and then before that as well. So oh, it's, it's great. That's all to come. So we beat West Brom and then we move on to Crystal Palace, who are... Very, very strange club at the moment. Very strange. You've got 
a manager who's done a really good job there, a really good job, um, but he's out of contract at the end of the season. You've got something along the lines of around about 15 to 16 first-team players out of contract this summer. You've got a very... We've well, got an ageing squad, you'd say. I know you've got your SAs and, 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 and one or two others, but to be honest, it's quite an old squad. They're all on out of contract as well. So getting towards the end of the season, they are in a really strange position, Crystal Palace. Uh, just looking at the league table, Crystal Palace, they're in no um, no danger of doing anything. They're not going to go down. Um, they're not going to approach anywhere near uh, qualifying for Europe. They are slap bang your mid-table side. They've not been in the greatest of form. They've lost. They got heavily beat by Chelsea. Uh, they drew away Everton, but Everton are terrible at home, aren't they? Uh, they beat West Brom 1-0, but before that got beat quite heavily by Spurs. So they're there for the taking. Before that, they drew a couple of nil-nil games. I think the highlight, really, or you look through those games, uh, you've got um, a nil-nil, a nil-nil. You score one against Spurs. Uh, you score one against West Brom, you score one against Everton, you score one against Chelsea. That's really where their problem has been. It's been scoring goals. So again, you approach the game against Crystal Palace and you have to be confident about Leicester's ability to keep a clean sheet or at least keep them down to only a goal, say. And to try and predict and to try and come up with a scenario of how they're going to play against Crystal Palace when they've got the game against West Brom, which is going to have a real effect because, if they, again, if they win, then they go into the Palace game full of confidence, etc., etc. If they lose, then, of course, it becomes absolute stone-cold must-win territory. But if you had to pick two teams right now away from Sheffield United... I would pick probably Crystal Palace and West Brom to play in the Premier League at home. So you have to be confident about Leicester getting three points. And I don't see any reason why they can't go and get the second three points in the space of a few days at home against the Crystal Palace side, who, again, I've got nothing to play for whatsoever. You're you're, you're right. I, I'll stand by what I said on last week's podcast that... I think the Palace game is going to be more straightforward than the West Brom game, and if and if I was looking at both of the games, I would did say be that, yeah. much, much, much more pleased to be playing Palace than West Brom. They've got absolutely nothing to play for. Um, they've got, you, they don't know what their future is going to be. The manager doesn't look like he's going to be there anymore. It's a club that, yeah, I think Hodgson's done a very solid yet unspectacular job there. You know, the, the the some of the fans might be whinging a little bit, oh, we don't score enough goals. But the reality of it is, the, the, with the quality of players there, they could quite easily have been pulled a little bit further down the table. They could quite easily be the Brighton and the Burnley that are just hovering above the drop zone. And yeah, OK, they're only, what, four points above Brighton, but with a game in hand. But They've never really been any danger all season, so Hodgson's just got them to the point where they just get enough. They do enough to make sure that they stay in the division. And really, are Palace in a position in terms of finances, infrastructure, playing squad to be looking any further up the table? Probably not. So he's he's done the best job that he can there. Really, they don't score a lot of goals. They can quite often, if they concede one or two, floodgates can open. So I can see Leicester sticking three past Palace at the weekend. Um, 
two back-to-back three points in in short in a short space of time will very much make our obviously make our position in the top four look much much stronger um but also that takes you two games closer to the to the finish line doesn't it that leaves you with five games to go you've taken maximum points from two games in a row it keeps things firmly in in Leicester's hands and I think that's really really key at this stage of the season especially with the running in the last few games that the fixture list has thrown up you've got to be getting three points off West Brom and Palace and 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 I'm confident that we can yeah that that's really is isn't it? it you've got to get the three points off them and it's all very well and good looking at the other games and I do and everyone else is doing what are Chelsea doing what are a Liverpool doing what are West Ham doing etc but it's they, they've really got to go and do it themselves and I'm really confident that they can I think it's on Monday night isn't it Monday night football uh, quite where, what they were talking about before the game, whether they'll be previewing the game or not, I'm pretty sure they, they they'll be looking at it in some way, shape, or form. But maybe maybe only for five minutes, understandably so. I will say right now, uh, I'm going to go. I, do you know what? I I agree with what you said about it being arguably maybe an easier game. I can see why people would say that. I can see why you would say that, etc. I just think it might be, um, in terms of having uh, maybe just a few games on the bounce. So you've got um, the game against Southampton, you've got then a few days later the West Brom game, and then on the Monday, you know, it's slightly not, not quite akin, isn't it? It's not a Wednesday and a Saturday. It's Thursday, Sunday, or Thursday, Monday. So I don't know whether that's going to make any difference. I know it sounds weird, but you never know. I, I think it might just be a bit closer um, in terms of the scoreline. I think it might be a bit of a nervy one, this one. I'm going to go for 1-0 Leicester, 1-0. And my man Fafana to finally, finally score a goal. <laughs> finally. Uh, so I'm going 1-0. What Did you give a scoreline, Rob? 3-0. I, yes, I, I heard you say 3. I didn't know whether it was uh, uh, it was against uh, 3-1 or 3-0. So 3-0. Uh, just looking at Crystal Palace, yeah, they don't have any fixtures now. So from when we're speaking now... Um, their game is against Leicester, so again, that's the way I'm thinking. We would have played what three times? Oh, no, sorry, twice since they last played. So uh, it, it, there could be a few tired legs, and that's when the squad will kick in. So that's where you really could see. Yeah, yeah I've gone three changes. Got, I've uh, gone big. Uh, maybe not up top, but you never know. Depending on someone like Vardy, whether you bring in say a Perez to play alongside Iheanacho and then you can have Madison in behind where the Madison's not quite fully fit yet so you may be having to play Perez and Madison in the kind of rotation in that 10 role behind the front two or the eight really isn't it um and then you have to bring in another player in that role could be a Pratt could be a Tavares it it could be anyone in that that way I'll be interested to see what happens with Ricardo because he came off in the semi-final he wasn't having a good game at all to be honest so in terms of performance, absolutely fine. Him coming off, it was it just looked strange. Him coming off and someone like uh, Albrighton coming on, but fully justified for just the sheer performance on the field. So hopefully we get those uh, those two wins. Just to run through, this will um, 
even though we've been really really positive talking about two hopeful wins and and obviously Leicester being in the in the final of the FA Cup. Just bring you a few three-word reviews. I forgot to do them earlier. Um, Tony Walker, it's our year. Uh, we've got Johnny Evans' masterclass. Uh, just so elated. Uh, feels rather good. Win for Vishai. Uh, my first final, which I think is echoed by a lot of people. Uh, stop me smiling. Can we go? Uh, Pete, you're round. Oh, no, yeah. Perco, sorry, it isn't. Uh, and let's have a quick look on the Facebook. So if I switch over... Do, 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 do. Here we go. And on Facebook, because I ask on there as well. Uh, oh, we've got five comments. Excellent. Uh, I've not read these yet. Get in there. Luckily, no VAR. Uh, Super Kalechi and Acho. Uh, best team won. And all hail Kells. There we go. I like that last one. Tony Strange will like that one. All hail Kells. Well, yes, all hail. He is the man of the moment. Uh, let's take a look at the fancy football league rob because we didn't do it last week and we are in the middle of the football uh fancy football week so we'll just do the top 10 even though everything can change and normally does whilst recording so let's play that music So this is the top 10. You may not have heard the music there because I'm doing the edits rather than Rob. And I don't think I have that piece of music. So let's just go straight into the top 10. <laughs> in 10, we've got Max Magnuson, who's down into 10th place with a Rav Saxon. He's on 1,983 points and he's down in 10th. Down into 9th, Gareth Bell, Bulldogs Forever, 1,985. Then up into 8th place, John L. Mirda, Sargress United, 1,988 points. No change at 7th, it's Ben Melbourne with Vini Vidi Vardi, 1,990 points. Up into 6th place, George Escott with a win by Vardi, uh, 1,992 points. Into the top 5, up into 5th, it's Tyler Hunya with Team Lau, 2,001 points. Down into 4th, Luke Taylor, Taylor Made, 2,042 points. Up into 3rd. Joe Healy, Les Dennis, 2,044 points. Top two are Humza Yazdani, no change in second. FC Mordor, 2,059 points. And, and I think, arguably, possibly clear now at the top, it's Sam Lau with 2,119 points. So he is a full 60 points ahead of Humza Yazdani. At this stage, that's quite a lot. Now... I am down in 20th place. I was having a really good re week, Rob, because I triple-captained Harry Kane, which a lot of people would have captained, but I had my triple-captain up the sleeve, scoring a couple of goals, and then he limps off in the last minute, so he's not going to play in their game, which I think is tomorrow, because they've got the League Cup final on Sunday, which he probably is a doubt for as well. So uh, he's not going to play. You've got uh, Rafinha in my team who didn't play. Uh, it turns out, I've just noticed that the Chelsea goalkeeper is not playing. And so it, it kind of was really good. And then it's kind of gone backwards. So I don't think I'm going to have a bad week, but it could have been a really good week. So I'm in 20th place. And I am how many points off the top? Oh, I'm off the top 10. I'm about 60 odd now. So yeah, not looking good. Speaking of not looking good. <laughs> My goal for a long time has been to get back into the top 100 and definitely to finish in the top 100. I had a great week last week. And uh, as you say, we didn't do it, but I, I had a very good week and I got 
to very, very close. Uh, my week's not going so well at the moment. 26 points as we speak on uh, on Tuesday evening. My captain Son, I've got Kane in my team, but my captain Son, but Son looks like he's going to be fit and he's going to be probably leading the line for Spurs in their second game of this game week. So I'm hoping that he'll pick up some points there. Uh, I've still got three Man City players to play, provided that they don't get rotated out uh, against Villa. Um, I've got Ian Acho in to, to, to play against West Brom and we've both tipped him to score, so he's going to score, of course. So I've still got quite a few players that could still score me a few points. But in terms of my quest for the top 100, as we speak at the moment, I'm only eight points off 100th. So my my goal is is getting closer and closer. Yeah, it, it could be worse. It, you could be Derby. Just looking at Derby, Wayne Rooney's Derby, to give him their their full name. They're in they're in some real trouble. They are one place above the relegation zone, four points above Rotherham. Rotherham have three games in hand over them, and Rotherham aren't exactly a great side. They've they've had a few games, a few decent games on the bounce where they they could have picked up points and they haven't, but. Derby are really in trouble. They could every chance of going down, and Sheffield Wednesday have won today as well. So it's uh, yeah, looking bad for Derby. I've just seen them walk off the field. Just seen Rooney walk off. That'll be um, it'll be very interesting because they've got that new owner, haven't they? He's quite young, I think, isn't he? He looks quite young, and he's obviously got a lot of money, etc. But what a way to start! You've got Rooney in charge of your club. You you know you're a a good sized club, ground and all that sort of thing, infrastructure's there and all of the first first season, first pre season, etc., you find yourself in League One. Be funny, wouldn't it? Not that we not that we sit here watching them very much and <laughs> uh and laughing at their misery because we've got so much of our own uh well, we've got so much of our own success well, to to enjoy. But it is occasionally uh, interesting to have a, a quick glance. Um a few of the lads I play football with are Wednesday fans, so uh, I'm very much in the conversation about the championship relegation zone. Um, Rotherham are a relatively local side as well. It's so funny enough, Rob, actually. I, I was aware that Derby were, well, are struggling. Um, Matty James looks like he's rescuing Coventry as well, doesn't he? Almost single-handedly wearing the captain's armband, getting assists and goals and playing 90 minutes week in, week out, like nobody knew he ever could. So he looks like he's going to drag them out. But yeah, Derby looking in some bother. Fully enough, it wasn't, I wasn't actually kind of, I wasn't actually taking the piss, if you know what I mean. I was, it was a, more of a general comment. I think it, because we are where we are and doing what we're doing, it, I, I saw just the pictures there of Rooney walking off the field. I actually wanted Rooney to do quite well at Derby in a way, because then, I'd quite like Rooney's to do quite well at, in football management because of the player he was, etc. I don't know whether he'll be a full-time manager high up the division, whether he'll turn into more of a coach, whether John Terry will ever be a manager. I'm not too sure whether he the coaching is where he, where he should be. Um, maybe that's where Frank Lampard will be overall. But uh, I, I, I would always I would have always thought Rooney would have been an asset at a football club where you can. Maybe a bit like Colo Torre, where you, when the players come in for training, he puts the boots on and he's training with the players. He's one of the lads and he can pass on all of his experience, still play, um, so still help them out on the field, but as from a, from a coaching point of view as well. And that, Rooney, imagine Rooney 
being a coach at your football club, being one of the lads as well, is not one of the assistant managers or or the manager. He is a, a full coach. That would be, I think that would be a great role for him. So whether this step up is just a little bit too much for him, because with all the respect in the world, he's not the brightest person in the world. I'm not saying he's stupid, but when it comes to being a manager, a, a manager of a derby, nah, I you know I, I just think it might be a bit of a step too far. But anyway, we'll see what happens with them. But this kind of leads us on to a, the wider conversation. So that's it for the podcast in terms of Leicester, in terms of the preview for those games coming up. So fantastic. We're just going to talk a little bit about what's going on, although not really in the case of outlining everything because everyone knows and the stories are moving so fast but the, what you just said there Rob you mentioned Rotherham being near you Sheffield Wednesday Derby and when all this started when all this kicked off the other night my my first thought of uh, my first thought was first of all if you were to trying to launch something like this and you were trying to make it as evil and as dark and as underhand as possible you probably couldn't have done it in a better way than that they've done it under the cloak of darkness at midnight on a Sunday to release a cold statement from all the clubs. Um, we know, all know what, what's happened and it looks like it's fallen to pieces in the last couple of hours. I'm going to just say a couple of things and my, my point of view is one, I don't think these clubs and should get away with it. So even Chelsea and Man City who look like they've brought down their the set of cars. I, I don't think all these clubs should get away with what they try to do. So whether that's through sanctions, whether it's through um, a reform of the Premier League, which I think is probably going to happen uh, in terms of voting, whether that means less money, uh, or should I say money spread out more evenly, uh, who knows? Uh, I, I just don't think you can let this lie. You can't just forget about it. Oh, well, forget about it. Super Sunday's on. Let's forget about it. Oh, isn't so-and-so a good player? No, no, no. No, you can't forget about it. And I don't think fans of the clubs forget about it. The second point is, I feel really sorry for fans of those clubs, which, who would have thought that? You felt sorry for a Liverpool fan or a Manchester United fan. Because it's not their fault. And probably, to a man, they didn't want this at all. Um, I thought... Gary Neville, especially on Super Sunday, was an amazing watch. Mentioned the Burnley game against Manchester United because in the second half, he hardly said anything because he, all this news was flooding through. And then what he said immediately after the game was just blockbuster TV. And Monday Night Football, I don't know whether you watch Monday Night Football, but him and Carragher, there is a... I mean, I don't like Jamie Carragher as a, um, a commentator, or should I say as a pundit, on a live commentary. Uh, Neville's fine I think Neville's fine in that role but when you put Carragher in the studio fine absolutely fine those two together and Dave Woods as well that was epic TV and I thought Carragher especially because let's face it Neville Neville's great I think he's absolutely bang on with pretty much everything he says uh, in terms of this I think he was 100% right and he's articulate he can put it across and also he comes with all the experience etc from many different areas of football Carragher Less so in terms of being articulate, but he got his points across very well, and I I just thought it was sensational TV. Nothing nothing uh, short of it really, and um, and then obviously it kind of progresses on and on. So the clubs can't get away with it. I feel sorry for their fans. What they do now, no idea. Um, whether ownership kind of moves on, but my final thought was, 
and this was immediately as it happened. If those clubs, and this is going to be an old-fashioned point of view, and it probably wouldn't have happened in any way, shape or form, but if those six clubs were thrown out of the Premier League, if this thing was going to go ahead, I wouldn't have had an absolute problem with that. Because you have your Sheffield Wednesdays, you have your Derbys, your Forests, your teams like that. If you were to basically promote the six clubs from the Championship up into the Premier League, etc., etc., I don't think that would be a problem. Would the money go down? Yes. Con- you know, instantly, uh, TV rights, etc., etc., sponsorship and all that sort of thing. Of course. But in time, it would build itself up. One of the clubs that would suffer most probably would be Leicester. But one of the clubs that in the immediate future would have actually been the most successful club you could argue would have been Leicester but I wouldn't have had a problem with that because I would rather have four and a half five thousand Sheffield Wednesday fans coming down the M1 to watch them at the King Power than have again the fans I feel sorry for from Man U and Liverpool coming over with their club and with their people in the background who evidently don't give a damn I mean, how you can create a competition where you can't get relegated from or lose your position to claim an extra 300 million. And I got one person I know who was not in favour of it, but he could see it. And I was was like, yeah, but they're going to be in the Premier League earning, let's say a top Premier League club gets £120 million from the TV deal if they're on TV most. I think that's what Liverpool got this year. Um, I said they're going to get an extra up to £300 on top. And that's got nothing to do with the Premier League. And if they get relegated from the Premier League or they come 16th, they're still going to get that because they can't drop out of this competition. It's it's incredibly crazy. So overall, it's quite sad. It's good how everyone kind of mo- you know got together, really. And it, everyone in terms of all fans got together and, and, and basically have knocked this one out of the park and, and battened it down. But you can batter it down, but you can't forget it. It needs to carry on. Whether the owners get run out of the clubs, that's for the clubs and their supporters to do. But from a Leicester point of view, we're sitting on the precipice of this because we're... I mean, the price of Leicester winning the league this season was a 1,000 to 1, current odds. Obvious reasons, because we need to win our games and Man City lose theirs, etc. It went down to around about 20 to 1 because of the likelihood of them being thrown out of the league. So that shows you how much of a possibility it, it was at one point you know and how much what feeling out uh, was out there that people were willing to put their money on it possibly happening so that's really where I'm from at the moment there's not an awful lot more to say but it's just really sad but if there is a massive reform to the Premier League and if it really kicks off again and we end up losing these clubs I'm a little bit old-fashioned and I'll turn around and go I would instantly want more away fans at grounds. You know, if you want to bump it up so there's, instead of 3,500 at the King Power, it's 5,000. Um, and if you've got those old clubs with big fan bases, um, hopefully they get promoted. If they Obviously, they've got to do it properly and etc. But once they go up, I'd rather have your Norwiches and your Ipswiches turn up at Leicester than, than the Glazier FC what it's going to be like inside Old Trafford at the start of next season and, and Anfield. I mean, Anfield. Imagine the first game of the season if it's a full Anfield. Well, tonight there's been a few uh, <laughs> a thousand me. or so Chelsea anyway, fans yeah. protesting outside Stamford Bridge and, and and whether that was the final decision to, to withdraw themselves from it or not, I don't know. But um, old Perez, the uh, chairman of, 
of Real Madrid has said that it's a binding contract and they can't get out of it. So it'll be interesting to see. We, we've read the story sure. at the moment. The story is that Manchester City and Chelsea have um, signalled their intention to withdraw from the European Super League. But whether they're actually able to or not is another thing. Whether they've signed a contract, I don't know. But yeah, it's it's very pleasing that the response to this European Super League has been so swift and so forceful from so many areas of football. It's not just the fans kicking off. The fans have been well and truly backed up by the FA, by the Premier League, by UEFA, by politicians, by by everybody that's got anything to do with not even necessarily football, but the sort of traditions. It, it, it's a game that was born in this country, that was born to working class people and has such a rich history and tradition that is absolutely doesn't doesn't happen without the supporters and for this to happen at a time when the supporters of of feeling probably the most disengaged with the with the with football um than they have maybe ever because of the fact that we've not been able to go to games for for over a year is is equal, is even more gutting really i think and the the fact that the the odds have come way down on on uh, things like Leicester winning the league because teams could be kicked out. There's strong reports that three of the four uh, semi finalists from the Champions League could be kicked out as well. Um, you know, do I hope they're not empty threats? I don't know. Have they got the power to do it? I don't know. But it's it's like you say the the financial side of things there as well would create even more of a divide than there is now. I think one of the great things about the Premier League is, in in some ways, is that, yes, you have the the so-called big six, top six, whatever. I wish you could see how strong my inverted commas are on this right now because Tottenham and Arsenal being in the European Super League is an absolute joke, by the way. Um, But it's almost like it feels even better when you do a Leicester. And that's really been one of the main reference points for lots of people when they're trying to explain why having an open competition, why having the football pyramid, why allowing any team that is successful enough that has such a good season that they finish in top one, two or three of their respective leagues, wherever they are in Europe, to to qualify for European competition. Why that's so special is because in 2016, it was us. It was little old Leicester. Completely upset in the apple cart. 5,000 to 1 odds. Yes, of course, we, we had the great escape the season before and it was the most unlikely of stories. But even if we'd have finished mid-table the season before, it still wouldn't, wouldn't have been 5,000 to 1, but it would still have been a remarkable story for them to beat all of the financial powerhouses, all of the so-called big clubs, to win the Premier League. And if clubs like Leicester and there are, as you say, the, your Wednesdays, your Derbys, your Forests, clubs of... of Similar size, really. If they've not got that to strive for, then I think the Premier League would have eventually recovered if if these teams did get withdrawn or kicked out. Um, but if 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 we didn't have that to strive for, then then what really would there be? Because it it felt so special then. Leicester, a club that have spent large well pretty much well obviously every season other than one in the top two divisions of English football yet making their first FA Cup final appearance since the 60s it's striving for that and it's having that to aim for with the supporters fully behind you that makes 
the sport so enjoyable, that it makes it so universally watchable. And this would completely take away from it. So the fact that it already seems to be falling apart less than 48 hours after it sort of reared its ugly head is is pleasing from my point of view as a football fan. It's also the way it was brought out. I, I can't understand. If they if they come out with a, a comment, sorry, a statement, right? End of the season. So the season finishes, Champions League final happens, and the week later, or let's face it, 48 hours later, a statement comes out saying, we want to create a new European Super League. Uh, it's going to start hopefully in two years' time or three years' time. Uh, these are the teams who want to enter it. Uh, la di da the the same stuff. No relegation for those clubs. La da. What do you think? This is not going to happen, but this is the plan. And if there was mass uproar, then everyone goes, and and literally they stand there and they almost in an twenty four hours later, the owners and 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 everyone goes, okay, we're just gauging people's responses, but we want it because of this. We feel we should be having X, Y, and Z rather than what's happening with the Champions League. La da. If that was the case, then you can go, okay, we heard your viewpoints. It's not going to happen because of the the way that people have reacted, etc. But to just go and do it, or at least, well, to go and do it, because this wasn't a threat. This was actually in place. And still, as we speak, it, it, it still might happen because, yes, clubs have said, we, I don't think we're going to do it, but... They could have signed up by the sounds like it. They've signed all sorts, and Morgan, they got JP Morgan, have got uh, what six billion pounds worth of funding. It's it's just really, really strange how this uh, this has happened. And there was one sign at this Chelsea um, protest, and it says, "We like our Tuesday nights in Stoke, or we want our Tuesday wet Tuesday nights in Stoke," and. That's what they don't get. They don't get that even if you're Chelsea or Manchester City and you're in the Champions League semi-final, you still have to play against your Stokes on the wet Tuesday night. You still have to play in the FA Cup because that could be the game that supporters can get to. Maybe they can't go and travel to whereverville in Europe. And I just don't get it. If their problem is with the Champions League and with UEFA then make it a problem with them. Don't try and do this, which affects English football. You can't have six clubs guaranteeing themselves almost treble of what other clubs are getting, and they're going to get it every single year. And that's unbelievably crazy. So Arsenal, way down in the Premier League, Spurs, bit of a mess at the moment. But if they get £300 million for the next... 10 years, every single year, more than anyone else, give it a couple of years, they'll be the top six will be those six clubs. No doubt about it. It normally is, but it will be. And that and that's just crazy how they thought fans were going to be okay with that, how they thought the Premier League was going to be okay. I, I just don't get it. And Neville got it bang on right. You've got the owners of Liverpool and Manchester United who just don't care. You look at all the stuff that's happened since the pandemic... And um, and let's face it, Spurs as well. Spurs with borrowing 150 million in loan from the government and then getting Gareth Bale on loan. Uh, come on, you know, have a word. And trying to furlough members of staff. Liverpool the same, trying to furlough everyone. Uh, the ticket prices, etc. In the newsstand, all sorts going on at Liverpool. 
terrible, completely thrown away by the fans. Man United, it's been going on for ages, all those green and yellow scarves from the old uh, their old colours, etc. And it's obviously been going on for a long time. I'm amazed, and, and again, this is kind of paraphrasing what Neville said, but it, he was bang on right. I'm amazed Man City went for this because as the the book was written when they uh, was taken over by Sheikh Mansour, there was a really good book written called like More Money Than God. They have more money than God. They've got more money than any club in the world, pretty much, because they're owned by what, a country? They've got countless billions. It's not a case of have they got the money to spend on the player. It's if they can in terms of financial fair play or whatever is in place they don't need this extra money it was almost like they didn't want to maybe be left behind or they signed it kind of going oh, okay you know what how they didn't take a stand and go no we don't want this no we'll play in the premier league and win that and we'll, we'll play in europe and then that we don't need this extra money it's it's absolutely ludicrous you can understand why chelsea eventually did it because you know, bramovich what's he going to do and then you've got arsenal and tottenham and arsenal delighted to be and uh, to be asked but then again the size of the club um size of the stadium location of the stadium in london etc you can understand why they were just delighted and they're always going to say yes and again the people who run the club it's not david dean and arsene wenger anymore those days are well gone and um and then you've got uh the the villain himself leaving up the road at, at tottenham I'm not being funny, but this has been on the plate for a long time. Tottenham go and build a superb stadium, spend a fortune on it, and they try and grab as much money as they can. High government, can we have 150 million? Of course you can, yeah, go on in. Um, oh yeah, can we have this, that and the other? And all of a sudden, can we have £300 million more a season? Have a word, you know. This is a club who were signing up to this, and knowing that, sacking and then furloughing members of staff. You know, you're talking about a despicable club. Or owner again. Feel sorry for the fans. I know quite a few Spurs fans. It's about those owners. And as much as you shake your head at Arsenal and you shake your head at, at Man City and Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, and Manchester United for me. Wow. And this is what I'm saying earlier. You can't let this go. This can't be left unpunished. Whether that's docking points, whether that's removing them from European competition, UEFA might do that. As you said, they might ban them. From UEFA, that would be a very good thing, I think. I think if they turn around right now and said, those clubs who are in Europe right now, um, you are either dispelled from competition, which would leave PSG, I think, as the champions this year, or they let them play, but they turn around and said, you know what, you're banned from Europe next year or the next two years. Tough, you know. You, you've got to do something like that. You can't just... It's a bit like when... Um, bit like when Leicester had those players with the COVID party or whatever. You can find them or you can tell them off or tell them to apologise, but by taking away a game or you have to do something extra. So when it comes to these clubs in the Premier League, who knows? I would be disappointed if they started next season on the same points or if they weren't docked points at the moment. And if that awards a league title to Leicester, then so be it. If it doesn't, who cares? Whatever. But they need something physical to happen. They need to be banned from Europe. They need to be banned from something or other or points taken off. Because if not, this thing will happen again in a year's time or two years' time or whatever. And the big problem and the main problem is they don't want that relegation. They want it to be uh, on a monopoly. They want to rule out um, any kind of jeopardy. And that's not football. 
that's not sport that's theater that's a that's a film you know you might as well go to the cinema and watch arsenal away at real madrid for the second time every season because who cares if you lose it doesn't matter you ain't going to go down you're not going to get knocked out of europe arsenal then go on saturday and play at the king power or play at st mary's or sellers park and if they lose who cares we'll play our reserves because if we finish 16th in the premier league we're still going to be in europe next year I mean, how it's absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy. And the more you think about it, the more crazy it is. So that's what I hope happens. I hope there's some kind of what it what it turns out to be. Who knows? But uh, they need something needs to happen. And I'm tell you one thing: if you're, I reckon the fans of those football clubs will be the first to turn around and say that needs to happen because again, they're supporting the players. Uh, Full enough, the players are the pawns in all this. The players and the managers. It's not their fault. But if they had these extra 300 million a season where's it going to go they've already got more money than everything i know spurs have got a new ground etc and they're just and they want the money to pay that off but what are they going to do with the money they're going to pay players you've got players earning up to what 500 grand a week arsenal have got 350 grand a week captain they've got gareth bale at spurs on all sorts all sorts of manchester united christ what's uh, what the goalkeeper van uh, de Gea's earning they've got unbelievable wages and I know they need to compete with other countries etc but if they've been given all this money what are they going to do give someone a million a week well fine do it but what advantages to that if they've got themselves in financial problem trouble that's their own fault get out of it Berry went bust other clubs go bust they get they go into administration there's no help for them so if, if if one of the big clubs goes bust Go bust. It's your own fault. If Leicester went bust, which we did, obviously, a few years ago, but if they went bust in the next two years for whatever reason, there you go. You go bust and, and you have to reform. You have to reform a Phoenix team or whatever. So I don't understand it. I don't understand how they can. They think they have the right to, to try and get out of this by forming their own thing. It's absolutely crazy. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Come May, we might be lifting the Premier League trophy, Rob. Imagine, I saw a, a mocked-up uh, league table based on um, points accrued only in games that didn't involve the the teams that were threatening to abscond to the Europa, Euro, uh, European Super League and we would finish second if, if all of those matches were taken out, West Ham would finish top. But um, if you went purely on league position, then yeah, we'd win the league, which wouldn't mind it, would you, winning it again? It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next, well, in the next couple of days, let alone weeks and months, um, as to possible sanctions, that kind of thing. Uh, but I think most of football is united against it, which I think is a real positive. Um, speaking of positive, shall we finish on a positive note? We've got cracking owners who listen to us as supporters and are running our football club in a way that we are proud of. And also, we're in the FA Cup final. <laughs> 